Let's take our Bibles today and go to John chapter 16, please. John 16. And we're coming toward the latter part of our talks through the discourse in the upper room. And so we've themed this series close to Jesus because we're in the upper room with him and his disciples. These several chapters, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, are the final conversation before Jesus would be crucified. And so the theme verse is, that sets the stage is John 13, 1, to give us that framework before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And that's the great framework of this conversation. That is that Jesus has a deep and abiding love for his disciples. And so uh, from that heart, he told them some things that were difficult to hear. He told them some things that were encouraging to hear. He revealed some things about himself as he would, was God in human flesh. And that's revealed in, the, um, in this discourse. But additionally, he taught them, and we've already seen this, but he taught them about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to speak about the Holy Spirit today. And I want you to notice verse 7 as we begin. Verse number 7, Jesus says this to the disciples, letting them know that he's about to leave. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, now the word here is expedient. You probably didn't use that word in your conversations this week, at least too often. Maybe you did. The idea here is it's, favor, it's favorable for you. This is a good thing. This is for your benefit. You are fortunate because of this. Now, it's a bit, of a, it's a bit ironic because he says is it, it is, it's good for you. It's expedient for you that I what, Jesus says. Well, how could anything be, how could it be good that Jesus is going to leave them? How could that be a good thing? How could that be for their benefit? Well, he says why. He says, for if I go not away, the comforter. We met him in previous messages. He is the Holy Spirit, the comforter. If I don't leave, Jesus says, then the comforter won't come. The comforter is the one who stands beside He's the one who encourages and strengthens the believer, among other things that we'll see today. But he is God. You see, we, are, we believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, right? It is Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's an invisible person. He's the person that is God with us every moment of the day. And the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is telling them is this. It is better for you to have the Spirit's invisible presence than for you to have my physical presence, Jesus says. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus said, because sometimes we think, well, you know, if I could have just walked with Jesus and talked with him in person and experienced him, then, then my Christian life will be a lot easier. But Jesus actually says, no, it is better for you that I give you my Holy Spirit. It's better to have the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, than to have the physical presence of Jesus. You might say, why? Well, there's a few reasons, but one is quite obvious. When Jesus walked this earth, he limited himself to what form? Human form. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any human beings that can be in multiple places at the same time. I don't know any human being in, in human form that can be with you every single place that you go. But God, in his love, sent himself the Son to demonstrate who he was, to die for our sins, to give us resurrection life. But then he, the Son went back to heaven, sent us the Spirit who would be with us at every moment of the day. Do you know, He's with you this morning. The Holy Spirit is here. He's in this place. That's why it's so important that we worship in spirit and truth. 
why it's so important that we listen to the Word of God right now, because the Holy Spirit is here with us. He's everywhere and always. Just think about those two words. Everywhere and always is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says it's expedient for you that I leave and that the Holy Spirit comes. And if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, now Jesus, in verses 8 and following, I want you to see, and we're going to unpack this truth a little bit today. I want you to see that he, Jesus is going to describe a new work of the Holy Spirit that has not been previously introduced. Up until now, everything that the disciples have heard about the Holy Spirit is that he would walk alongside them. He is the one that would be with them. He's a source of comfort. He's a guide. He's a help. But now Jesus wants to point out another purpose of the Holy Spirit. And this is so, so important. And this will be the gist of the whole message today. Notice what he says in verse number 8. And when he is come, he will reprove who? The world. Don't you notice that? The world. You see, the Holy Spirit does not only have a work that he's accomplishing in the believers, but the Holy Spirit is accomplishing a work where? In the whole world, among all of the people of the world. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate witness. What, I want you to, what you're going to see today is this, and I'm, I'm not going to read all of the scriptures because we'll get to them as we go through the message. But what you're going to see this is this today. He is going to be described down in verse number 12. In fact, let's go down to, to verse, actually, verse number 13. I will show you this. Verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of, what's it say? The spirit of truth. This is a new name given to us. We've seen comforter. We've seen Holy Spirit. But here it is, the spirit of truth. You see, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the ultimate witness to who Jesus is. Now, what were the disciples, what was the main responsibility going to be for these disciples? It would to be to go into all the world and be what? And ye shall be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of who Jesus is. Witnesses of what Jesus did. In fact, you and I are here today because Matthew and John and Peter and James and all the rest of the disciples they determined that they would fulfill the mission that Jesus gave them. They said all the things that Jesus did, all the things that Jesus said, and the fact that he rose from the dead, we are witnesses of these things. And the witness began to spread. The witness began to spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and it went to all the world. So even today, on the other side of the globe, we are the recipients of the witness of those first disciples. You're like, wow, that's, pretty, that's a pretty improbable accomplishment, wouldn't you say? But it's because the disciples would not witness on their own. It would be the spirit of truth that ultimately points to who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to see today. Now, I want you to notice this statement. This is a quote. Uh, I've actually heard several people say it. I was struggling to find the original uh, attribution for this quote, but that's not important. The main thing is we think about the quote here in your introduction. As we think about the Holy Spirit as a spirit of truth, we need to understand that many people, if not most people, are not on a truth quest, but a happiness quest. I want you to let that sink in just for a minute. Most people are not on a truth quest so much as they're on a happiness quest. And so the idea that, that people in their natural state are, are and people have strong opinions, don't, don't they? There are people with atheist positions and religious opinions and people with political positions and all of this. Very often, it's not that people are looking for, well, what is actually true? Because I must believe that. What many people are looking for is, well, what will make me happy in this circumstance? Because I'll go with that. And in fact, unfortunately, even some Christian teaching and Christian preaching in 
our day and age is really nothing more than glorified therapy sessions where people take the Bible and they extract some principles and they apply it to a situation in our lives to make us feel better. And I believe that there are many people, even in quote-unquote biblical churches, that are not primarily concerned with the truth, but they are concerned with what is going to make me feel good in my current circumstances. We all have to be on guard against that. Because what we're going to see today is this. The truth matters. The truth matters. And one can have sincerely held beliefs that are completely wrong and will lead maybe to temporary happiness, but will lead to eternal destruction. The writer of Proverbs said this, There is a way that seems right to a man. It seems right. It feels right. But the end thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof are the ways of death. So it's possible to be in a moment of time, and I think this is the great problem of prosperity in the 21st century, that from a human standpoint, we can, we can pay enough, we can prosper enough, we can pay enough money, we can entertain ourselves enough, we can go on vacation enough, where we can create pretty happy lives for ourselves. And it all seems good. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said it in this very conversation back in chapter 14. No one, no man comes to the Father but by me. You see, the truth matters. What we believe matters. The Christian faith is a faith that is built on a statement of fact that must be believed. In fact, John 8, 31 and 32, I put this on your handout. Just uh, in an earlier conversation, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know what? The truth. And the truth shall make you free. This is an important message for any disciple of Christ. Because in the time in which we are living, you will undoubtedly be challenged to compromise your beliefs for the prevailing views of culture. Especially to the young people that are in here. I'd encourage you to give your full attention today to this. Because whether it's in your school or in college or in a future professional setting, your faith in Christ, your faith in the Bible, will be challenged. It will be questioned. And we live in a time where many Christians are rapidly capitulating to the world and changing their views. Just about every day, you can read about some quote-unquote Christian leader who is modifying their view on sexuality. You can read about Christian leaders who are modifying their views on, on abortion, on issues of the day that are hot-button cultural issues. And you know that if you come to this church or if you've come for long enough, you know that I am not a prone to political-style preaching or teaching. It's just not what I do. I'm verse by verse. But when we come to a topic that's going to hit on cultural issues of the day, we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to embrace it because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth matters. And so for the sake of the church, for the sake of the perpetuity of this local church, for the sake of the faithfulness of your family, of your children, of your grandchildren, it is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to be a people of truth. That's my introduction. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit is the witness to the truth. I want to show you, if you open your handout, I'm going to give you two main themes this morning, and you'll see how this passage explains them. Number one, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is a witness in the world. I already mentioned it, we've already seen it, 
but the Holy Spirit is a witness in the world. But secondly, we're going to finish by looking at how the Holy Spirit is a witness in the Word. That's pretty easy to remember, right? Let's try them together. Uh, First of all, he's a witness where? And then secondly, he's a witness where? In the world and in the Word. So pick it up with me uh, back in verse number 8. And when he is come, he will reprove who? The world. He will reprove the world of three things. Say them with me. First of all, he will reprove the world of sin. Sin is not a popular word. In fact, this hasn't always been the case, but you will almost never hear the word sin. I would encourage you to, to rack your brain, go back in your recent memory, where you have heard the word sin outside of a biblical-based church. It's practically been stricken from our entire society. We have disorders and difficulties and struggles. Even in the church, we don't use the word sin quite as often anymore. Because sin is the, it, it just bites a little bit. Doesn't the word bite a little bit? It expresses that we have fallen short of God's standard of what is right. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit goes into the world and he reproves the world, first of all, of sin. Secondly, he reproves the world of what? Righteousness. That's the standard. If if sin is what's bad, righteousness is what is good. And then finally, he reproves the world of sin and of righteousness. And thirdly, of what? Judgment. Verse number nine. He explains this a little bit. Of sin, now this is interesting, because you thought I was going to say, well, look at all the sinfulness of this world, the fornication, the idolatry, this, all these things, they're bad. No, no. The ultimate, the ultimate reproof or correction or conviction of the Holy Spirit is not primarily to all the sins that the world commits. I've heard it put this way. We as Christians, we should not be surprised at the way the world behaves because the world is our sinners. And what do sinners do? And they do a pretty good job of it. They've got it down. But the ultimate, the ultimate sin is not a sexual sin or a sin of, of pride or anger or murder. Those are not the ultimate sins. In fact, every one of those sins, you can make the argument either has been or can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But there is one sin that is unforgivable. There is one sin that will send a person to hell. And that one sin is to not believe in Jesus Christ. That is it right there. Because to reject Jesus Christ is to, take, is to see God's very best and to turn away, really with a slap in the face, and say, I am good enough on my own. To reject Jesus. People say, well, are you telling me that, that you know, if I try to live a good life and I help my neighbor and I'm kind to other people, but I don't you know, subscribe to the whole Jesus thing? Listen, the whole Jesus thing is God's display of love and hope and salvation for lost sinners. And to reject that is the ultimate act of defiance against a holy God. And for that, the world will be judged. The Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin. In fact, it says in John chapter 3 and verse 18, John 3, 18 and 19, He that believeth on him, that's Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, you won't be what? You won't be condemned. But if you don't believe, you what? You are condemned. Not will be condemned, but you are condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You say, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, look at verse 19. He explains it. This is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world. There is no one more glorious than Jesus. 
There is nothing more compelling than the love of Jesus, that he would forgive us no matter what we've done. He would pay for every single sin and give us eternal life. But the Bible says that men, that's mankind, men and women, we loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Holy Spirit comes, and we ought to be thankful. Every single person in here, if you are a Christian, it's because one day you either sat in a room like this, or you heard the Word of God on the television, the radio, or the internet, or you read something that was from the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit spoke your heart and said, you need to believe in Jesus. You need Jesus. And if you accepted Jesus, you stepped out of condemnation and you walked into eternal life. But it wasn't you that woke up one morning and said, you know something, I think I'll figure out, I think I'll learn a little bit about Jesus today. No, it was God who sought you. It was God who spoke to you. It was God who shined his light in your life. And I believe that God shines his light in every human being's life in some way or another, but the response is up to us. Will we receive the light or will we love the darkness where we live? But the Holy Spirit is here reproving the world. He reproves the world of sin. But then secondly, he reproves the world of righteousness. That's the standard of goodness. We saw this, if you were here on Wednesday night, we looked at some previous verses. I'm not going to go to them. You've got them if you need to reference it. But basically, he says in, in this verse, well, actually, I should read verse number 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Why do we need the Holy Spirit to be the standard of righteousness? Because the previous standard of righteousness was who? Jesus Christ. You look at Jesus and you see complete and utter perfection. What chilling words than what Pilate said before the crucifixion, I find no fault in him. No one has ever found a fault in Jesus. He is perfect. Even his enemies could see no true fault in him. But he says, I'm leaving, so that perfect standard of righteousness for you to look to will no longer be here, but the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit is a witness in all of our hearts. And no matter, we've got to believe, Christians, we've got to be a courageous people and a faithful people. No matter what the world says that, hey, my, this is not sin, this is not wrong, it always goes back to the standard of righteousness that is found in the Word of God. And that standard of righteousness, the Holy Spirit speaks to each heart and he convicts each person that they are unrighteous, that we need a greater righteousness. But what happens? On the one hand, people say, no, they try to redefine their sin. And they say, well, no, this sin isn't really sin. I, I am a righteous person. The Holy Spirit says, no, you do not meet the standard of God's righteousness. You do not meet the standard of God's perfection. So that's one, one answer, is people go in a state of denial and self-justification. But there's another possibility, which is a religious possibility. And there's a group of people that say, oh no, I have committed unrighteousness, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up for it with as much of my own righteous deeds as I can. And you have whole Christian denominations that teach people that though you have unrighteousness, you can work hard enough to participate in making yourself righteous. And some of you grew up in a system like that, very typical of the Roman Catholic system that teaches that we bring about some of our own righteousness to God. But the fact is this, the perfect standard is Jesus Christ. And there's not a single person that has enough righteousness to offer to him at all. We always fall short. And the Holy Spirit convicts and he says, your, your religion is not enough. You must receive Christ. He reproves the world of sin and of righteousness, and then thirdly, of judgment. And he explains this in verse number 10, or verse number 11. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now this is a fact, that the future is certain. That is truth, that is fact, mark it down. The fact is this, the truth is that Satan's destruction is as real as if it was already accomplished. 
because it was accomplished on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross sealed the fate of the devil. The devil and his demons are just simply awaiting their execution day. They've been found guilty, proven wrong, and Jesus will triumph in the end. But there is a coming judgment. There is a coming judgment. The writer of Hebrews said this, It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. And what the Holy Spirit does in, in, his, in his love and his concern is he warns us. He warns. He warns the world. And he says, Jesus has already won. Jesus offers you forgiveness. Jesus would be your Savior. You must Turn to Christ or face judgment on your own. And Christian, you and I ought to have the confidence that when we share the truth of Jesus, it's not simply our words, but it is the Holy Spirit that works in the heart of the people we speak to. And whether you see someone respond when you witness, whether you see a, 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 any kind of reaction, you have to have the faith that the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does. And he's working in their heart. He will, Jesus says, he, he said, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is why, by the way, the church of Jesus Christ has not been shut down and we're going 2,000 years strong. Because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because it's the spirit of truth that empowers the message so this is not a time, this is not a time for us to back down or to step back or to be silenced by the world around us. It's a time for us to courageously declare the truth and the hope and the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is the witness in the world. Secondly, he is the witness in the word. Now this is really cool. And I'm going to, I'm for sake of time, you're going to have to come back on Wednesday night for me to flesh this out a little bit more. So that's my commercial right there for, y'all come back now, okay? So um, we're going to, I'm going to go in some more detail on some of these points on Wednesday. But for now, I'm going to give you the overview here of the witness of the Word, the witness of the Holy Spirit in the Word. Notice this in verse number 12. This is really, really fascinating. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says this. I've still got a lot to tell you guys. I think about it. I mean, how much time has he spent with them? Three and a half years we, we put together. And he says, I have yet many things to say to you. But you're not ready. You're not ready yet. How be it, verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, three and a half years, and I still have more I need to tell you. But who's going to tell you those things on my behalf? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you. He will guide you into all truth. Now, what is happening here? This is not a blanket promise in its, in its original intent. I want you to understand this. It is not, the point here is not a blanket promise that the Holy Spirit is, is guiding all believers into truth. Although there are other scriptures that I will show that to you where that is being said. This is the specific commission that is being given to the apostles. What are these 12 men about to what are these 12 men about to be assigned with? The great commission and establishing the church. Literally, Jesus leaves these guys to establish the church. They don't seem very capable to me of that task. They don't seem like they really have a handle on the situation. And so what is, what is, what is being predicted here is 
I'm going to submit to you that what is being predicted here is the unfolding of the promise that is recorded for us in the New Testament. These are the things that Jesus had not yet shared with his disciples that would be fully and finally revealed by the Holy Spirit and given to us. You say, do you have some scripture on that? I do, and I want to show you some more on Wednesday night as well. You see, because what we're talking about here, you'll notice on your handout, is that the Spirit gave special revelation to the apostles. Now, you will encounter people in your Christian experience, some of them well-meaning, others not well-meaning. But you will encounter people that will tell you, wait a minute, I got a special word from the Spirit just for you. How many of you ever had somebody tell you that or do that to you? They give you a special word. And you listen and you're like, well, I don't know about a special word, but it sure was a strange word that you delivered. The, the special revelation was distinctively given to the apostles in the apostolic period. In fact, look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 19, speaking about the church. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20, and are built. This is the church in general, the members of the churches. We are built on the what? On the foundation. Are we the foundation? No. We were built on the foundation of whom? Of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the what? Chief cornerstone. As this is how we got the church. You can study the history. You can read the scriptures. It's, this is how, you can put that verse back up for me real quick if you would. Um, this is how we got the church. It is Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. That is the, the, the most significant part of the foundation. That's what anchors it all together. Jesus Christ is the rock. Peter says to Jesus, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, and you're Peter. And he says to him, on this rock, I will build my church. And there's always this argument. Well, was he building the church on Peter? Was he building the church on Peter's statement? To be honest with you, it's kind of irrelevant because this passage really clears it all up. How did Jesus build his church? He is the cornerstone, and he used his apostles to establish what? The foundation. He laid the foundation. And so the word given to the apostles was Scripture. Just as the Old Testament passage was regarded as Scripture, I'm going to show you on Wednesday night how there are several passages that point to the fact that the writings of the apostles were seen just as authoritatively as the Old Testament Scripture. Because that is what the Holy Spirit was doing. He spoke. So, when, so you've got to realize that the, the Gospel of John was written decades after Jesus had left. The, whole, the, the Gospel of John, in fact, the, does anybody know when the first Gospel was written? Or what the first Gospel recorded, we believe historically was? Who knows? Bonus points for this one. Anybody? First Gospel? Not Matthew. But if you, if you move one more, you might get it. Mark. Good, yeah, there you go. Mark. Mark was within a decade or so, probably, maybe two decades of the, 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 the life of Christ. But John writes decades later. How do we know that John remembered it right. How do we know that John got it right? Because Jesus had made a promise. And Jesus promised, I have more things to say to you, but you're not ready yet. Howbeit, when the Spirit comes, He will not speak of Himself, He'll speak of me, and He will guide you into the truth. Those founding apostles and founding prophets, the ones who had been with Christ, who had been specifically chosen by Jesus personally, they were given this commission to establish the church. And that is how, by the way, if anybody ever challenges you and says, well, why do we, why do we even receive these books of the New Testament? Why do we, I mean, there were other books written in the first century. Why do we accept these as the Bible? Because the early church recognized the promise of Jesus that the apostles would be guided by the Holy Spirit. More about that on Wednesday night. So come on out.
So the Spirit gave special revelation, special truth to the apostles. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So bring it all back to the witness of the Holy Spirit today. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us today? It is not through private revelations. The Holy Spirit speaks to us today through the written Word of God. Through the Word of God. The Spirit gave the Word. This truth, this body of truth that we have, these 66 books that have been preserved for us through the millennium, millennia, whatever it is, these words given by the Spirit of truth. They are not, we do not hold in our hands a book written by men. We hold in our book, we hold in our hands a book where the words were breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We have the exact words that God would have for us to know. And aren't you thankful that they've been translated into a language that we can understand and we can study? And learn. This is truth. You say, you know, you took a lot of time on all this and, and all of that, and maybe I provoked your thinking that, you know, I never really thought of it that way. I just, you know, you know, the like the old preacher said, you know, I believe the book, it was good enough for my mama, it's good enough for me. Well, someday somebody's gonna challenge you on that. And it's good to understand why and how God gave us this holy Bible. These preserved, perfect words from the Holy Spirit. Man, people today, there are Christian movements that they, they, they miss the point of the Holy Spirit. And they're looking for signs and wonders and, and special revelations and all of this. When the fact is, the Holy Spirit's number one work is to get us back in conformity with the word that he breathed out. And he points to Jesus. Not only does the Holy Spirit give us special revelation, but there is an element, I believe, in this passage, and I can, I'll show you it from other scriptures, where he does guide the present believer into truth. I'll show you that. John also wrote about that in 1 John. So I think both are, are tied in here. Verse number 13 Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. The Spirit gave us special revelation, but I want you to see this finally. The Spirit, with His witness in the Word, He also guides us with sound interpretation. Sound interpretation. Now this is important. How many of you grew up in a religious tradition, or you've been exposed to a religious tradition that told you, either explicitly or implicitly, that you really can't understand the Bible on your own. You need to have a professional, so to speak. So go ahead. How many of you had that experience? Okay, there are a lot of hands up. Okay. Now, there is the biblical office of teaching. It's a biblical office, biblical gift to teach the Word of God. But it does not negate the responsibility of every believer to look at the Word and listen to the Spirit. To look at the Word and listen to the Spirit. In fact, what the Spirit does is he will... He will um, it, it, Paul spoke about the Bereans. Paul had, went, he had gone to Thessalonica. A lot of people became Christians. Now he goes to Berea. And the results weren't so instant in Berea. And some of you know why. Because he goes to Berea and he's like, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And in Thessalonica, they're like, cool, sign us up. 
right? They just, they're into it, right? And in Berea, they're like, hmm. It says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Paul was not upset with them for not jumping on the bandwagon right away. It says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they, does anybody know what it says they did? They searched the scriptures. They heard this new guy, Paul, come into town and, and talk about this, this um, carpenter from Nazareth who's the Messiah who died and rose from the dead. And Paul says, the scriptures pointed to Jesus. And they're like, well, we've read those scriptures. We're going to check them again, if that's okay with you. And Paul says, yes, go ahead. And you ought to do the same thing with any teaching that you, your ear comes under. Any teaching that you hear, that's like, you know, I've never really seen it that way before. Well, that could be because it ain't meant to be seen that way. They told, they told us in Bible college, um, if it's true, it probably isn't new. And if it's new, it probably isn't true. Now, that's not 100% correct. Sometimes people, there have been movements of history where, where people have gotten away from the Bible and then back to the Bible, and there have been renewals and revivals. But ultimately, the standard, the standard isn't what priest so-and-so, rabbi so-and-so, pastor, what's his name? The standard is not what some teacher or professional cleric says. The standard is what does the Word of God say? And the Holy Spirit guides the true believer into the truth of the word of God. All right, here's the scripture. 1 John 2:27. 1 John 2:27. But the anointing which ye have received of him. Now you'd have to read the whole passage to understand this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. The anointing which ye have received of him abides where? In you. John says you have the Holy Spirit. Now, this is in a day, John is speaking about false teachers who came into the church. There was a really popular belief in that day called Gnosticism. And you can study the history of it, but, but all these people were coming into the church, and they were saying, well, I know that, you know, John said this, or Paul, or Peter, but, you know, the truth is this. And John, and, and of course, John spends time explaining the truth and teaching the truth, but at the end of it all, he says this. Look at the middle part of the verse. You need not that any man, what? Teach you. You don't need, you don't need a teacher. Now, does that negate the office of teaching and what I'm doing right here? No, that's not the point. But the point is, if you simply had the word of God and the Holy Spirit, that would be enough, he says. As the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, remember the spirit of truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. By the way, these are the great hallmarks of the Reformation. The belief in sola scriptura, that it's the Bible alone. The belief in the priesthood of the believer, that the individual believer can understand the Bible for himself and can, uh, can make himself right before God in accordance with the Scripture. That we don't have to have another person advocate on our behalf because Jesus advocates for us and the Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit will guide you into sound interpretation. Now, we know that he uses the church. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. He'll use the testimony of other witnesses. It would be very arrogant and very um, pretentious of anyone to be like, well, you know, I kind of believe this other strange doctrine over here because, by the way, you know, the Holy Spirit taught me that. Well, I'd be really careful to say that because it's the same Holy Spirit that teaches all believers. So if you're way out here, I would question, is it really the Holy Spirit or is it something that I thought? That we have a body of doctrine that's been handed down. But the point is, the ultimate authority is not the, the teacher, it's not the denomination, it's not the, it's not the systematic theology. The ultimate, the ultimate authority is the Word of God as taught to us by the Holy Spirit. 
And you and I as Christians have simply got one responsibility, and that is be a people who love the truth, who know the truth, and submit to the truth. You will be faced with a challenge to your faith. You will be faced with questions and skeptics. But if you know the truth, the truth will make you free, Jesus said. But you have to spend time in it. You have to study it. The Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures. God, the Holy Spirit is not going to just... It's like, uh, you know, how many of you, when you were in high school, you took the osmosis approach to studying? You put the textbook on the bed, and you just laid your head on the textbook, and hope as you slept, all of the information would make its way in. It doesn't work that way. Study to show thyself approved. Mrs. Bailey drilled this verse into me when I was a little kid in our kids' club. It was study, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, I try my best when I preach to give you something encouraging, but what is going to preserve your soul and make a difference in your family and give you a reward in heaven is not how you feel when you leave. It's is your life anchored to the truth. It's all about the truth. And may we always be a people of the book, a people of truth. And I do have to say, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to step into the truth. The Holy Spirit, he is reproving, he is speaking to you even right now. I believe that by faith. You could be in this room, present right now, be watching or listening to this message at a later time. The Holy Spirit transcends all of that. And as we lift up the name of Jesus... The Holy Spirit says, yes, you need Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Respond in faith and say, yes, I will believe. I will build my life on Christ and Christ alone. If you've never done that, you need to hear the Spirit's voice today and respond to him. Would you do this with me? Would you please, as we always do, bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time to reflect and respond to the message. Two questions, always two questions. First of all, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has the Holy Spirit ever spoken to your heart? Have you felt and heard his voice and responded saying, yes, I will believe in Christ. I'll put all of my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If you have never done that, I want to invite you to do it today. Wherever you are, admit to God that you're a sinner. Pray a prayer to him. Say something like this. Say, dear God, I am convicted of my sin. I know that I'm guilty. I know, Jesus, that I need you above all. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again, and I ask you to save me. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. Would you pray that wherever you are, whatever moment, say yes I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior today. I believe He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Christians, in this just a moment, as we have prayer, and for just a minute, how many of you would say that there's an area of your faith, and I'm not even asking you to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand for this. But in your heart right now, how many of you would say, you know what? With the, everything I'm seeing on TV, the culture around me, the pressure I'm feeling, there's been an area of my faith that I've been tempted to compromise. There's been an area of the truth that I've, I've been ignoring and neglecting. I'm going to just ask you right now to just, just recommit to Jesus, recommit to the Spirit, that you will stay in the truth, that you will lead your family. Men, you've got to lead your wives and your sons and your daughters in the truth. Mothers, you've got to be the example of truth in the home. Let us be a people of truth. And would we take this opportunity this morning, as the instruments play, let us take a minute and recommit ourselves to obedience to the spirit of truth. Let's pray together.
Lord God, we know these are, these are difficult days that we live in. Lord, these are, these are trying times, but this is the day that you've called us to. This is our generation. And Lord, I pray for this church, this congregation, may we be a courageous people of truth. We cannot do it on our own, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit. We need His power. We need Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would guide us, that You would keep us. Lord, I pray for young people that are making up their minds about what they believe. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide them. I pray that we would give, uh, that we would be what we need to be for them, to point them to truth and, and to point them to, to, to study. But ultimately, Lord, it's Your Holy Spirit. It's you, Spirit. We need you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.